Hello, my friends. I want to talk to you today about relationships, not the romantic kind, just basic relationships. What are some things that are necessary kind of basic building blocks for how relationships work? My name is Joe, and this is The Joe Martino Show. Let's kick it off. You're listening to The Joe Martino Show, a podcast dealing with all things emotional, relational, and human nature. Joe is a licensed counselor in the state of Michigan, specializing in relationship therapy. He is also the author of the book, The Emotionally Secure Couple. All advice offered in this episode is offered for entertainment and educational purposes only. Enjoy the show. All right, let's talk about relationships. Let's talk about what do you find difficult in relationships? Recently, I was contacted and I did a conference on relationships, not romantic relationships, not married relationships, but just what about relationship? It seems like in our society, we are becoming more and more insular. We are becoming more and more withdrawn from other people. We are becoming more and more removed from relationship. We're becoming more and more, uh, we keep relationships at the surface. We're becoming a lonelier society. We're becoming a more desperate for connection society. And so I was contacted by an organization not far from us. who was like, hey, we're, we're going to do these quarterly things and we'd like you to come talk about just relationships. Why do we need each other? What are some things that we need for a relationship to be healthy? And so that's what this is today. We're actually moving or I'm actually working towards creating some online curriculum. This is kind of Relationships 101. And, you know, they tell you you should never say that because there are sometimes people will be like, oh, well, I know relationships, so click, I'm out. Stay with me because one of the things that my wife and I talk about, you know, obviously I've mentioned this before. We have, I guess, different conversations than a lot of other people because we are both therapists. Is this is like whenever anybody walks in, in trouble in any relationship, whether it's romantic or their parents or their adult children, when we ask them what's the problem, they invariably say communication. But in reality, it's often that they are askew somewhere on these five points that we're going to talk about today. Because these are the fundamentals to healthy relationships. Before you can ever get to communication, you have to understand these five aspects of relationship. Before we actually get into that, when I when I did the conference, when we do the curriculum, I made sure that I spent plenty of time on the four boxes that create change. If you've been listening to me for a while, if you've been to a conference, you're going to recognize these. I need to give them just a few minutes here. I want you to take, if you're driving, obviously just keep driving. But if you have an opportunity, take a sheet of paper and draw a box in the paper, a relatively big box, and then split that box into four equal corners. In the upper left corner is your belief system. These are things that you just believe to be true. This is where your expectations and assumptions are are created. If I started talking to you about politics and you became uncomfortable, that would be because in our society, we don't talk about politics and we have an assumption and expectation that we shouldn't almost. So if, if someone brings it up, people tend to get uh, very uncomfortable. Whatever you just assume, when I first started my companies, I was one of the things that I just assumed was just pay people well, let them come to work, they'll work, they'll go home, you don't need a handbook. The laughter that you hear is everybody else who was a business person long before me because you have to have one of those. Out of your belief system, which creates, which creates your expectations and your assumptions, 
We have our values. This is where we make our priorities. Look down at your feet. However much those shoes cost you, it's safe for me to say that you liked those shoes more than you liked your money because you gave that money to someone. Uh, At our home, we believe hard work pays off. We believe that hard work is a value that we aspire to. That's a belief system statement that hard work pays off and that we should aspire to it. That's a value statement. That means we move it up. We believe that we should take regular time away from our hard work to rest and rejuvenate. That's a belief statement. But then we schedule time. I say no to things so that we can move that value up the list. There are people in our lives who are important to us. A friend of mine, his son passed away. I've spent a lot of time with him because I value him. I value his friendship, right? And those work together, belief systems, values. Now, here's the thing. One of the things that we have to consider is what's our belief system about relationships. That's what I hope to shape today is your belief system about your relationships, Out of your belief system comes your values. Out of your values comes your actions. I know what you value based on what you do, period. If you're an obsessive cleaner, I I have a, a client who obsessively cleans, cannot leave the house if anything's messed up. He values a clean house. Now, he also values doing other things, but the clean house is the highest. What he actually values is what the safety that he believes a clean house brings him when he leaves the house. In other words, he wouldn't want anyone to come over to his house and find it a mess and and because maybe because he's afraid they would judge him or whatever. Out of our actions, we get our consequences and these can be good or bad. Consequences just follow actions. And so on payday, that's a good consequence day. If a police officer pulls you over and gives you a ticket, that's a bad consequence day. So let's talk about assumptions for a minute. Do you assume or expect that relationships should be pain-free. If you do, you're in trouble. That's an assumption and an expectation that's going to run everything else, including your values. And your value is going to be, I have to cultivate relationships that are pain-free, which is almost impossible. As I stated in my intro, uh, quoting a friend of mine, to love anything is to invite pain. Anything. I don't care. You could literally cut people out and just love dogs, but you're going to outlive the dog. There's going to be pain. Only people you let in can hurt you. But the alternative is to live hurt because no one's in. And and I just can't believe that there's probably not someone listening right now who's like, I don't have to let anybody in, I'm fine. There has never been a bigger lie told than the idea that, oh, I could just be alone. I could just be all by myself. That is utter hogwash. We're made for a relationship. And so if you want a relationship, any relationship, you have to be willing to be hurt. Now, this is important because it's a belief system statement. The very first thing that relationships require is vulnerability. Now, I want to be clear. Vulnerability isn't the only thing that a relationship requires. We're going to talk about five things that are required. But the first thing is vulnerability. You have to be vulnerable to be in a relationship because the moment you're in a relationship, you are vulnerable. Many people spend so much energy and time and effort trying to be invulnerable that they actually lose out on relationships because they actually create a whole different type of pain. And it's not just the pain of being alone. It can be the pain of of being in a relationship because it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy where in their attempts to avoid pain or abandonment, they actually inflict pain on other people 
And typically, it, when it's brought up, it doesn't get handled well. It doesn't get dealt with well. There's not a lot of ownership. And so it becomes this self-fulfilling prophecy where relationships fall out. But here's the thing. I don't care who almost everyone I've ever met, everyone that they've been in relationship with at some point or another has caused them pain. Even ones who say, nope, my mom, my dad, my husband, my wife, my best friend, they've never caused me pain. Usually if I can poke at that for a while, they're like, oh, well, there was this, or it's just not a healthy relationship. So why have relationships? If it requires vulnerability and pain, why have them? Well, the science is overwhelming. There are all sorts of benefits to having relationship. You can do a simple Google search. You're going to see things like it increases your sense of belonging and purpose. It boosts your happiness. It boosts is. It boosts your happiness and reduces your stress. It improves your self-confidence and self-worth. It helps you cope with trauma. It uh, encourages you to change, unavoid, uh, unavoid, good soul. <laughs> I don't know why I can't talk this morning, but it helps you to avoid unhealthy life choices. The research is replete. The benefits of relationships are high. You have a higher lifespan, a longer lifespan. You have a better immune system. You get support. These two I love. You get a reality check and advice. Healthy relationships involve reality checks and advice. But you have to be vulnerable in order to take a reality check from a friend or advice. So relationships, the very first thing that is required for relationships is this idea of vulnerability. If you don't have vulnerability, you're going to have a relationship that is problematic, that is troublesome or non-existent. But it's not just vulnerability. You have relationships that are healthy require vulnerability with boundaries. Boundaries keep vulnerability in an appropriate place. They keep the relationship moving forward. One of the things that happens with people is often they'll get into a relationship and they're, they're vulnerable. They, they just kind of, you know, vomit all of their feelings and emotions and the vulnerability goes up too quickly. There's not time for the relationship to grow, which we're going to talk about later. But vulnerability has to have boundaries. Now, the thing of it is, is boundaries are for us, not for other people. And I think this is where a lot of people get caught up because they set boundaries and they think that the boundaries are for what other people can and cannot do. Even at the conference, there was a woman there who was engaging me in a conversation, which I certainly appreciate, but she kept talking about how you just can't set boundaries because the person that she was setting boundaries with was violating the boundary. And, and what it wasn't the setting. What I was unable to convince her of is actually that is setting a boundary, and the fact that they violate it doesn't mean that you didn't set a boundary. If you're driving down the road today and somebody's doing 80, we live, uh, there's a main road that connects my town of Lowell to the town of Grand Rapids where I work. And, and the road that we take is called 21, the Blue Star Highway. And the speed limit's 55. And I, I drive slow. Last night, I'm on my way back into Lowell and I set my cruise at about 57. And there was people behind me. Some guy passed me on a two lane, illegally on a two, on, you know, two yellow lines. Because he was in a hurry. The boundary was there. He didn't follow it. And he didn't get a consequence that I know of. I didn't see him get pulled over. But there's still a boundary there. So boundaries are for us. In other words, if you and I are in a relationship, my boundary is you can do whatever you want. But there are certain things that if you do them, I'm not going to join in. I've talked about that in the past. I think that might be a great episode just for itself. 
but I have talked about that in the past a little bit. Boundaries are for me, not for you. I set boundaries for what I'm going to be involved in. So I want you to spend some time thinking about what are your boundaries for your relationships. Because typically, I, I once had a mentor say to me that most people handle relationships passive-aggressively, and then when things go wrong, they try to make up with it in intensity. In other words, they don't have boundaries uh, that are thought out. They don't actually engage in, here's my line. And, and instead, they're just kind of all over the place. And then when the pain gets too much, they just completely withdraw from the relationship. That is passive aggressiveness with intensity. So I want we want to avoid that. And so what I want you to do is just think about what are your what are your relationship boundaries? What are people that you're like, I don't go do these things with them because it's outside my boundaries. This is really important because remember when I said it's not just vulnerability, there's four other aspects. The reason boundaries comes after vulnerability is because it, they run hand in hand. They run together. You have to have boundaries that are beneficial, boundaries that protect you, boundaries that protect the other person. And, and boundaries help you express your values. Because the thing of it is, is you're only going to get today once. You're only going to get the next minute once. You're only going to get the time that you spend once. And boundaries help us decide how we're going to spend those precious gifts. Boundaries help us live out the truth that not all relationships are friendships. There are people that I'm in relationship with that I have to be in relationship with. I don't really have much of a choice. I have to be in relationship with them. But they're not my friend. I'm not theirs. And those boundaries need to be in place to help that be a healthy relationship. Not all relationships are friendships. And even the ones that are friendships often fit at different places on a spectrum. I want to do a little exercise with you that we actually do with clients. Uh, the exercise that we're going to do is not original with me. It's original with a researcher. Uh, I believe her first name is Sarah. Last name is Kavanaugh. I want you to make a list of the top 15 people in your life ranked by the frequency and intimacy of your contact with them. In other words, the first person should be the person that you spend the most time with and you're the most intimate with. So a coworker, you might spend 40 hours with a coworker, but you're not intimate with them at all. They wouldn't be on this list. It's people that you spend the most time with that you're the most intimate with. Top 15 people. Go ahead, just hit pause and, and write out that list. And then when you're done, come back. I'll wait, haha. Okay, now I want you to draw a circle around the top one and a half. So I realize you're going to draw a line through somebody's name. That's okay. I know it's a little weird, but we're just doing it to their name on a list that in theory they're never going to see. Now I want you to draw a circle around the top five, including the first one and a half. Now here's the thing. One of the things that times we do this, people will put their kids in the top one and a half or the top three, top five. Your kids aren't actually probably on in there, especially your younger kids. Maybe your older children uh, could be, but, but your younger kids aren't because it's frequency of time and intimacy. Okay, so now you should have a list that hopefully has at least five people, may have as many as 15. What does it mean? Well, the top one and a half, they probably lived with you. They have probably seen you at your worst. You've seen them at their worst. Uh, there's no mass for them. They're part of your tribe. And this will be a little fluctuating, but in reality, it's going to be one, maybe two people. And, and one of those people are going to be kind of in and out of it. So, uh, you know, just really people either currently living with you or have lived with you in the past. 
The top five, these are your intimate life partners. These are the middle of the night calls. When something goes wrong, it's 2 a.m., who do you call? Uh, they can just look and know what's going on with you. You have weekly contact with them, and they can easily make you laugh. This is about 40% of your social capital. In other words, the amount of social energy that you have to expend, this is about 40% of that. So those are your top five. You're one and a half plus three and a half. Once we get to number six, these are the top 15. You care for them. If you have children, they might be in your daycare circle. Uh, they might even be in like a semi-regularly uh, area where like you would hang out with them once a year, maybe twice a year, uh, maybe even as much as like four times a year-ish, maybe. Uh, they're part of your sympathy circle. If you died, they would be rendered pain. It would be a lot of pain there for them. Uh, and they get roughly 60% of your social capital. So six through 15, get an extra 20%. We add all that together, right? And that kind of runs out. Once you hit 16, we could go from 16 to about 150. That number, 150 is called Dunbar's number for the researcher who discovered it. It's actually pretty cool, geeky stuff. Uh, but the next 35, these are people that you would stop and chat with in public. So if I only had to write 15, but if, if we just pause it and write out 16 to 35, you're going to get into people you, you know through church, through your kid's softball, through your kid's soccer, baseball, choir, uh, band, orchestra, school, those types of things, coworkers. Uh, you'd sit down next to them uninvited. There's a little bit of a generational preference on that one. Uh, but you rarely go out of your way to contact them. They're more fluid. Uh, the example that I often give is I have a friend who at one point would probably have been in the one and a half. I, I lived with him in college. We were very close. He's very instrumental in my life. Uh, but now the truth is I'm going to see him, I hope, in, in a couple weeks we're going to go visit where he lives, and I, I'm hoping that he and I will connect. Uh but I don't go out of my way to contact him. I can't tell you the last time I called him. He messaged me on Facebook to let me know that a, a friend had died uh, about a month ago. Um, and that's it. It's, it's just a more fluid relationship. But when you're together with these people, the next 35, you, so 16 to 40, you end up, uh, 16 to 41, you end up kind of picking up where you left off, which I think is something we can all relate to. We all have a list of friends. And, and realistically, I know it's research, but I'd say probably that number is more like the 16 to 20 people or the 16 to 21 numbers. You'll, you'll just pick up right where you left off. Even if you haven't seen them in a year, it's just a very fluid relationship, but there's still intimacy there because there's vulnerability and there are boundaries. And, and there's more coming that we're going to talk about here in a minute. Now, here's the thing. A lot of people think that social media has changed a lot of this. And the reality is it, it doesn't. Uh, Dunbar's number doesn't seem to be affected by social media. You can only handle so many relationships in your life. You can actually really, truly only handle well so many deeply intimate relationships in your life. So I have my wife, and then I have my children, and I'm not as intimate with my children as I am with my wife, obviously. That, that's healthy. That's boundaries. And then I have some close friends that are guy friends, that are kind of they're 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 you know they're in the periphery. I don't really if I have to choose between time with my wife or time with them, I'm taking time with my wife. And then I have friends that I worked with uh, that 
if I see them, we'll talk and it will be just like we're picking right up where we left off. I'll hear about their family, but not overly intimate. But then there are a few that it would be intimate. If I saw them, we might buy a drink together, sit down, and we might have a very intimate conversation in the middle of a restaurant. And so the question invariably come, becomes, what about the people who have thousands of Facebook friends? Well, let's just say it's a thousand. 850 of them, they don't know beyond acquaintance. And that's important to understand because a lot of times, remember, assumptions drive everything. Here's two questions. A lot of times, people have an assumption that they have to have a big group of close friends. And that's impossible. They can have a big group of good friends. Maybe. (laughs) But a lot of people think they're failing because they only have one best friend or they only have one close friend. And actually, they're pretty normal. That's your tribe. That's what you can manage. Now, it gets a little bit trickier if, what if you have somebody on your top five? You go back to your list. What if you have somebody on your top five, but they don't have you on theirs? There's going to be conflict there. There's going to be distress. There's going to be bumps. There's going to be people running into each other, trying to figure out how do we do this? What is appropriate? What isn't appropriate? And there's going to be some pain. This is why we start with vulnerability. Relationships require vulnerability. They require boundaries. And now what we've done is we've kind of taken an interlude for the last few minutes and we've, we've kind of worked out an experiment where you can kind of look at your list of people that you know and how they run in your life. And I'm hoping that you can see that it's okay if you only have one or two or three friends that you're intimate with, that you're close with, that are your middle of the night phone call people. Because the third thing that healthy relationships require is conflict. If you don't have conflict in your relationship, you're probably not actually that intimate. So there's four levels of conflict and friendship. I was first exposed to this idea uh, from a friend who read a book by Peter Block, and I've since kind of taken it and made it a little bit my own, but the first level is not really. These are people who, if you saw them at the grocery store, you'd avoid them. You rarely engage them at all. If conflict with them were to occur, you would most likely move them completely out of your life. They would move off the list. This is the person that when you walk into the grocery store, If you see them, you act like you don't or you try to avoid them. If they're in aisle nine, you go to aisle three. If you're sitting in a restaurant and they walk in, you kind of try to watch them out out of your periphery. You don't want them to know what's going on in your life and you don't want to know what's going on in their life. Then there's the sort of crowd. These are the people you won't avoid. These people, you won't go out of your way to converse with them but you won't go out of your way to avoid them either. If you run into them, you'll talk to them, but these are going to be really shallow conversations. We're talking about uh, things like the weather, sports, just really shallow things. Uh, They have a similar end uh, to people in the not really category when conflict occurs. In other words, if you have conflict with them, you're probably going to move them out of your life, or at the very least, you're going to move them out of uh, uh, regular contact for a while. So these would be people, again, you walk in the store, you see them, oh, hi, Frank, hi, Bill, how are you? Hi, Tim, hi, Terry, hi, Jill, you know, whatever. How's the kids? How's school? Man, isn't this weather beautiful? But there's no real level of depth or intimacy to the conversation. Then we have the not-quite-intimate group. This is as deep as most people take their relationships. In fact, in the book that Block wrote, he says that most people never get beyond this level with their relationships. 
Because these are the people that people look at as close friends. If they ran into them at the grocery store, there's a decent chance there'd be an intimate conversation. They'll call them, they text, they snap, they Instagram, they do all of those things until they get mad. And when they get mad, one of two things happens. Either they just push it under the rug, as the proverbial saying goes, or they just stop talking to the person. They move them right on out there. It's all good until there's conflict. Now, the people that push it under the rug, they might stop talking, they might get passive-aggressive, they might ignore, and then one day they just start talking again. But eventually everything goes boom. This is the not-quite-intimate group. And then the fourth level of conflict and friendship is intimate, which, by the way, if you want to see this, I'm going to be posting the slide on these four levels of intimacy and conflict on our our company pages over the next coming days. So if you haven't liked Joe Martino Counseling's Facebook page, it's facebook.com forward slash Joe Martino Counseling. Like that, turn on notifications, and as that stuff comes up over the upcoming days, you'll get to see it and write it down. So the fourth level is intimate. This is a level three relationship that has actually processed conflict. It's actually engaged the conflict. It had conflict. It didn't push it under the rug. It didn't push it away. It didn't ignore it. And they didn't ignore each other. They engaged the conflict and they worked through it. And when you do that and you come to the place where you know, if I have conflict with this person, they're going to work through it with me, you have true intimacy because now you don't have to hide anything. And when you work through these four levels of conflict and friendship, it's important for you to understand where you have people who are doing things. Like, where are they at on your list? Are are they a, a level one person? Are they no intimacy, right? Not really. Are they sort of? Are they somebody that you sort of know? But do they see you as someone who sort of, and you see them? You might have to have a conversation with about that with them. Relationships require work. Now, uh, in, in this, we call that pursuit. Relationships require pursuit. So they require vulnerability, they require boundaries, and they require pursuit, which is work. You have to pursue not only the person, but the relationship. The relationship becomes its own entity. The relationship becomes its own being. And you have to pursue both in order to have a healthy relationship. Relationships require this pursuit because they're complicated. Because as I pointed out earlier, you might have somebody in your top five and they don't have you in the top 15. And so you have to have a con- you have to have a conversation about that. You have to have some internal processing. You probably have to have a conversation with yourself about your expectations, about how you handle missed expectations, about how you handle things that cause you pain. Healthy relationships have to have pursuit. And the thing of it is, is it's rarely equal pursuit. It's a pursuit that flexes a little bit. It's a pursuit that moves a little bit. And honestly, that can be a great stress for people because they feel like, well, I'm the one who always calls, which sometimes is true. And so then we can say, okay, well, maybe this person was on, I thought they were in my top five, but really they're more like a seven and that's okay. In other words, people move through the... The, the, the continuum and the pursuit part works through the particular. That's why pursuit, I say pursuit and work are interchangeable words there because they require effort. And sometimes that effort will be matched. Sometimes it won't. And that my expectation is that's normal and it's okay. So I have a friend who pursues me sometimes. And then I, I sometimes pursue him and reaching out to him and touching, uh, 
uh, into his life and him touching into my life. And that's okay. That's normal. And then, of course, there are other friends where we don't really pursue it much at all other than we stay connected and occasionally we chat the once a year phone call. And then the last thing that relationships need is they need time to grow. They need space to grow. They need they need time to become healthy. They need time to process through the relationships. One of the reasons that I am afraid we are so lonely in our society is we're so busy. We're just running everywhere all the time. We're constantly on the run. And our relationships don't grow because they don't have the time to grow because time isn't just like a start point and as they grow, it's also they need time invested in them. That's the pursuit part. And and the reality is there are relationships. In fact, probably most of your relationships will have a lifespan that is shorter than your life. In other words, you're going to start a relationship. It's going to grow and it's going to end and you're going to have to keep moving. That's going to be the majority of the relationships. And you're still going to have to have that time. It's like growing a plant. You don't put a garden into the ground and then tear it up the next day or go plant, you know, pick fruit the next day. And when it it stops growing in the fall or the winter, you don't get mad and tear it up and say, I'm never planting another garden. Now, you might do that if, if you are like me and you're better at growing weeds than you are plants, but that's a whole different discussion. So as you engage the relationship, you're looking for these five kind of base areas vulnerability, boundaries, conflict, pursuit, and time to grow. And again, with that expectation that kind of runs over the top of it, that most of your relationships are not exactly lifelong. Even the longest ones, there's going to be some that are lifelong, but the majority of them are going to going to have an end date that expires. And it's still worth the time and the effort and the energy. Okay, hopefully this was helpful to you. This is really just a cursory look at everything we covered. That conference was three hours. I've done this in about 30 minutes, uh, cutting it way down, leaving a few things out, but trying to cover the base points for you. Uh, Very important stuff here, I believe. The basics of how relationships work. Thank you so much for listening. I know you can do anything with this time, and I really appreciate you allowing me into your life through this medium. If you enjoyed this podcast episode, please share it with your friends. Give me a social media share. Uh, You are my best form of spreading the word, and I hope that this information is valuable uh, and is helpful to everyone who hears it. Thanks so much for listening. We'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's show, please share with a friend. Give us a rating on the iTunes store. And if you have a question for a future show, feel free to send us an email at info at joemartino.com. You can also go to joemartino.com and click on the contact me page. Until next time, remember, change possible.